Welcome to the Agent of Wealth podcast with Mark Boudis from Boudis Financial. In this podcast, Mark helps guide you towards financial freedom, ensure you never run out of money, and create a balance in life that prioritizes what is most important to you. Join us for this journey as Mark draws from years of expertise and guest experts to solve the multiple wealth building challenges involved in your financial life. Welcome back to the Agent of Wealth. This is your host, Mark Bowdis. Today, I'm joined by John Briggs, founder of Insight Tax, a CPA firm and the author of The Profit First for Microgyms, a simple system for healthy cash flow. Through his 12 plus years of entrepreneurship, he's helped business owners combat IRS bullying, improve cash flow management, and manage stress and burnout. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mark. So we're talking in April. I think it's a great time because everyone is heightened awareness around their taxes. So I'm looking forward to today's topic. But before we get started, first talk a little bit about your work at Insight Tax. I, I saw that you categorize your team as non-traditional accountants that help combat IRS bullying. Can you talk a little about the firm, but also what that means and what the mission is? Yeah, a little bit of background. I worked at Deloitte, which is one of the big four accounting firms. And in the accounting space, a lot of the other accounting firms, they just, oh, they're big. Let's copy whatever they're doing. Must be working for them. And I realized that I was going to be rewarded based on my billable hours, but I didn't control my workflow. In fact, in a normal accounting office, only a couple of people control the workflow. And so the model becomes, well, if they haven't given me something else to work on, I don't want to be penalized for being smarter or more efficient than the other guys. So you take your time. And what happens is that incentive model ends up penalizing the client because they may end up with a larger bill than they are expecting solely because they bottlenecked the process flow of tax returns. And so I wanted to create a better way. I also don't love the idea of, hey, minimum 55 hours a week during tax season. So if you want to keep your job, you got to work 55 hours. That's just to keep it. If you want promoted, you got to go higher than that. While I don't buy into the work-life balance concept, I do think it's possible to have a work-life imbalance. And uh, I wanted to create a firm where people had a life outside of work where they could focus on other things other than work. And so we're non-traditional in the sense that we don't always think the client is right. We don't push ourselves to work the crazy hours all the time. In fact, last tax season, our team averaged 42.6 hours a week during tax season, which is quite the feat in the accounting industry. And we're not done yet with this year, but we'll be close to that again. How do you do that? Do you push people away? Do you ramp up hiring or is it like a combo of that? That's, I mean, that's great that you're able to maintain that balance. Yeah, it's interesting. We haven't had to say no to clients just because we're not willing to sacrifice our life because they kind of put off filing their taxes to the last second. But what we do is we communicate up front. Like at this point, a client coming in is like, hey, just so you know, we'll be sending you some emails to help you understand what's going on, but we're not going to get to your tax return till May where normally our turnaround time is two weeks. We also have really good systems. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Scrum model at all. Mm -hmm, Sure. Yeah, it's invented really for tech companies, but some people have started applying it to service-based companies. So we do that as well with a couple different teams. So it's not like true Scrum, but it's conceptually similar and that helps us be more efficient. We just communicate with the client throughout the year. So they know what to expect. We know when they're going to be sending us stuff in. 
Um, so it's kind of a combo of a lot of different things that allow us to do that. And it's mostly business owners that you're working with? Yeah, primarily business owners. And then we do their personal returns as well. So what have you seen as, a, let's say, like the biggest challenge that business owners have with their finances? Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of them. There's a couple of challenges. The biggest one is that people didn't go into business to look at their numbers. And so the business owner is passionate about whatever it is, whatever the services or product is. And sometimes, depending on you know where they're getting their information, they can start to believe that taxes and their bookkeeping and cash flow management are kind of a necessary evil. Like, oh, I'm a business owner. Yeah, I have to kind of do that. But I'm going to hope someone else takes care of it. And, or maybe I'm only going to look at it once a year because there's nothing sexy about it. It's one of the biggest challenges because the reality is if we sit down and maintain it, which takes such a small amount of time on an ongoing basis, maybe a couple of times a month, the amount of information that the business owner can glean from good sets of books, having quality tax strategies in place, it just makes their business that much better. So they're able to do the sexy things if they take the time to do some of the stuff that maybe in their mind they currently view as a necessary evil. And is there any like certain size of a business where it gets too big and they may need to hire like a CFO? I guess you guys kind of almost playing like that fractional CFO type of model, but is it, does it ever get too big where it's like, all right, you guys need a full-time CFO? Yeah. I actually believe if a company grows, all companies will eventually grow to have that need. We were dealing with a client, they had five automotive locations. And when we inherited their business through some other stuff going on with the company, I immediately saw like, you guys are way too big to be outsourcing this stuff. One, not only are you paying a premium to us, because we obviously have to have margins to stay in business, with the amount of information that you need on a daily basis, it doesn't make sense. Because as an outsourced CFO person, we can only focus so much on each individual client. And the reality is if they want more focus, they pay for that. And so I'm like, it would actually save you money and give you better on-time reporting if you hired people in-house. I think each business might be a little bit different on that exact point. I don't think there's like a formula that we could say, oh, here's the point where you now need to hire someone. The behaviors though look like where as an owner, you start realizing, okay, I can step a little bit back from maybe the rushing from fire to fire and I have a little bit more organization. Now I have time to look at numbers. I'd like to see these numbers based on how frequently you want those. It might make sense to have someone in-house. Um, not to mention if you have a very customized business, having someone in-house is going to be more important because they will live and breathe all the different customizing going on with your clients, including invoicing and agreements and things like that, that no outsourced company will ever be able to do. Mm -hmm. What I hear from from business owners and, and even regular taxpayers is that oh, I'll send my stuff over to my CPA and they spit back some return and that's it. So how do you, I guess, involve in more of the strategic planning? And obviously that takes time on on your side and that has to be factored in. But how can you know someone approach their finances, approach their taxes strategically rather than just being like, okay, an order taker, I'm going to send this stuff in and spit back something. So we have the two separate services, right? So if someone's doing bookkeeping, books are getting done. If someone's signing up for tax services, there are a handful of people, they just want the compliance. Like, hey, you know what? Here's my information, plug it in. But most people, you know, they feel the pain of paying the taxes. They always wonder, am I paying too much? 
And so first stepping stone that we have is we're sitting down with that new client. Let's have an actual consulting meeting. We're going to go over, do you have the right structure? Do you even understand what you can and can't write off? Those are some simple things about business that are often misunderstood by most entrepreneurs. So we start with that. There's um, a couple of tax strategies usually, usually that we can identify and we get those going. And then depending on the size of the business, the curiosity of the client, they determine how often they want to meet with us. Whether that's monthly or quarterly or just have a year-end planning meeting. And then we build in those meetings into our services so that we can sit down and say, okay, since we last spoke, what has changed in your business? And then based on their answers, we can then say, okay, well, there's here's some tax rules that can apply to what you have going on. Let's make sure we have those in place. Now, one complaint I hear from business owners is that they just get overwhelmed. Like you said, they get involved because they're passionate about whatever that business is, usually. Not to manage books or look at this or look at that. What are some tips for that business owner that is overwhelmed? In addition to, I guess, let's bring on a firm like yours. Let me go over three ones that I feel like are low-hanging fruit that everyone listening can do. Uh, The first one is you have to look at your entity structure. So what I'm referring to is how are you classified? Are you a sole proprietor? Are you an LLC? Are you a corporation? If you're in a business where you make a product or you sell a service, the IRS calls that ordinary income. This is a generic information. You always should check with specific situations that you have going on. But we have found it's very important that those taxpayers have an S corporation in their tax structure. The reason is because of the way the IRS ties in self-employment tax to business owners' income. The S corp gives you the most favorable outcome and you pay the least amount in self-employment tax because owners don't think about, you have your income tax, everybody pays their income tax, but based on how you have things structured, the self-employment tax is on top of your income tax. You can minimize that with a well-structured S corporation That's the first tip. Look at your entity structure. If you're making a product, selling a service, and you don't have an S corporation in place, it's worth talking to a CPA to see if, you know, this is something that would save you money. Chances are it will. Kind of a 1A on that. The S corp, sometimes accountants will not recommend it because it does complicate the client's filings. If I don't do anything, I file all my business activity on my personal return. So it's still one tax return. Now that I have an S corp, I have a separate business tax return. Like, oh my gosh, okay, a separate business return. No, don't need to complicate it. And then on top of that, if you work in your S-Corp, the IRS basically requires you to also pay yourself a W-2, even if you're the only employee. Now it's, oh, now I have a separate business return and I got to run payroll? Oh, let's forget about it. Well, I'm telling you, mathematically, now it does change based on how much your accountant is charging. We have found... If your taxable income is $10,000 or more in in business income, it makes sense to pay a professional to take care of that headache for you, and you'll still save more in taxes than what you're paying the professional at $10,000. Anything above that, it's crazy. I mean, I've had clients come in $100,000 of taxable income, and it's like, you literally are going to save $12,000 a year just by running it through an S corporation. But with that payroll aspect, sometimes... CPAs recommend that the W-2 is actually higher than it needs to be. So that's kind of like the 1A tip. If you are going to do an S-corp, make sure you're choosing an amount that is 
considered reasonable, but not more than reasonable because now you're just wasting money. And a good accountant should help you walk through what that is like. Step number two is the way that we think about writing off deductions. The tax code defines a write-off as something that's ordinary or necessary, which are two really vague terms. And if you ask an IRS agent, I promise what they think is ordinary and necessary for you is different than what you know is ordinary and necessary. And so there was some confusion there. And so the IRS went ahead and created a rev proc, which is a fancy way to say they're adding clarification. So they clarified what ordinary and necessary mean by saying, if it's helpful and appropriate, which are really synonyms for ordinary and necessary and also is completely vague, right? right? So the way we explain it is this, and this is how it's worked. Like when we defend a client in an audit situation, this mindset helps us. If I'm spending a dollar, can I relate it to my business in any way? If I can, then it's a write-off. I spent this money for my business because it was going to do some sort of benefit. Maintain a client, get a new client. The sky's the limit, really, when it comes to business. Improving my knowledge so that I'm a better leader, so that I know how to grow the company. I mean, right, lots of reasons. I'm spending a dollar. Can I tie a story to why that's related to my business? I should write it off. Do you leave that question there? Or what if it's, if the answer is yes to that, but also there's some personal use? What happens if it kind of hits both both areas? Yeah, there's a few expenses that are going to fall into that category. Travel, potentially, cell phone use, driving my car. On those handful of things, you track like what's the business use compared to personal use. Yeah, makes sense. I'll also say this, so kind of a two-way thing, because it's understated. I didn't explicitly say this. If it's a business expense, you got to pay for it out of a business account got to keep it separate. I also even go as far to recommend that you have a dedicated credit card for business use. Now I say it that way because it doesn't have to be a business credit card in your business name. Um, it can be in your personal name. That's fine. But for simplicity, I've always found it easier and clearer to have one card that's for business. And if I have another credit card for personal stuff that they're separate cards, but try to keep business and personal finances separated as much as possible. Okay. And the third one, we call this corporate rent. Uh, so we're filming this in April. The Masters just happened. It's a golf tournament. It's like one of their Super Bowls. I guess they get two Super Bowls a year. Or I don't know how that works. But the Masters happens in a little town called Augusta, Georgia. And so some people actually call this the Augusta rule. Because what happens is these landowners and homeowners in Augusta, Georgia have a whole influx of spectators that come in. Well, they rent out their homes for a very nice uh, rental amount, and they only do that for like 10 days-ish. Well, there happens to be a tax rule that I'm convinced was put into place by Augusta landowners years ago that defines what a rental activity is for us. Now, bear with me, listeners. This tip is going to save you three to $6,000 in taxes. The tax rule says if I rent a property for more than 14 days... That makes it a rental activity, which means I have to claim rental income, all that stuff. Like it has to be filed. If I have a property and I rent it less than 14 days, it is not considered a rental activity, which means I do not have to report any of my income on that property if I rent it out for less than 14 days. Well, it just so happens like with the Augusta rule, these guys are not renting it out for two straight weeks. 
So all that income they get from renting out their homes, they don't have to report it anywhere. No taxes paid. So how does this relate to us? As a business owner, I'm supposed to have corporate meeting minutes. I'm supposed to have meetings. Well, why don't we be responsible business owners and say, I'm going to have a monthly board meeting. And instead of renting a hotel or another space, I'm going to rent my house. I'm going to rent the space of my house. So once a month, I have a meeting at my house. Now my business is going to pay me personally to rent that house. So my business gets a rent expense because it's ordinary and necessary and helpful and appropriate, lowers my taxable income. I do not have to pick it up as rental income. So my tax income stays lowered because I don't have to then claim it somewhere else. It's one of the easiest, lowest hanging fruits for a business owner. Rent your house one day a month. You're under the 14 days. As a general rule, we recommend $1,250 for the day use. Now, you can go out and get a hotel quote. You can find stuff on a vacation rental website. If you can find a rate that's higher, then you want to save that because that would be your proof in an audit. But as a general rule, we say $1,250. And so that's a $15,000 write-off. So I just lowered my taxable income by fifteen grand, even though I get to use that, all that fifteen grand personally. So based on your tax rate, that's going to save you three to $6,000 in taxes. Right. Makes sense. Um, I want to transition a little bit to the niche of micro gyms. And you actually wrote a book on it. I guess first, what is a micro gym? A micro gym is really those boutique fitness studios. Sometimes it's easier to think about it in context of what it isn't. It isn't a globo gym. So the Gold's Gym, the Planet Fitness, 24-Hour Fitness, those types of gyms, their business model is to rent equipment. So you pay a small monthly amount. And honestly, most of those places are counting on you not coming in because if everyone paying came in, they don't have enough space. A micro gym, their model is more hands-on. You're not renting equipment. You're paying for advice. You're paying for consulting. So yeah, there's equipment at the gym, but most of the time there's trainers involved. That could be one-on-one training. It could be a group class. So Orange Theory, CrossFit, Barry's Bootcamp type of thing, those are all going to be considered micro gyms. So what is like the niche or what's special about those types of businesses that made you want to focus on them? I read a book called The Pumpkin Plan by Mike Michalowicz years ago. And if you're not familiar with the book, I recommend you buy it. But the synopsis is these pumpkin farmers can grow those thousand pound pumpkins because they basically focus on the one pumpkin. In fact, when they plant the seeds in the beginning, they're plucking off 80% of the pumpkins as soon as they sprout within the first week. And then they do that again because they're identifying which ones are growing the biggest and the fastest because they want all the nutrients of the vine to go to that one pumpkin. And then they weed like crazy. So I read the book. And if you've ever read a Mike McCallum's book, he always provides a ton of actionable things that you can do. And so we went through, I went through the exercises and I identified that we had a good concentration of gym clients at the time and they were fun. They knew they didn't know the tax stuff. Sometimes professions that are highly educated feel like they know enough. And so then sometimes you feel like you're in an argument with them. It's like, look, these are the tax rules. Well, I heard this. The gym owners are just like, I trust you. Just tell me what I need to do. And so we kind of started marketing a lot towards gym owners. And at this point, we have more gym clients than any other accounting firm in the U.S. And as we were doing the cash flow stuff with them, I realized I was tweaking the profit first model that Mike McCallis originally wrote. 
And Mike had opened up the opportunity for those of us who were kind of really niche focused that we could write a book if it merited writing a book for it. And so we wrote the book. I think gym owners are really cool people. And what they do, sometimes because you're improving somebody's life, they end up with this charitable undertone to what they do. And sometimes those gym owners fall on their sword. So like the main message of my book to them is you deserve to be profitable. And I'd say that for anybody, nurses, doctors, people who the service you offer literally changes lives. Sometimes there's this expectation like, well, maybe I should do it for free. No, you don't have to do it for free. Like you create value. They should pay you for the value. That's kind of where we got into the gym space. Yeah, especially a lot of those gyms got hit hard in the pandemic. They, yeah, not very often the government says you can't be open. Right. And it's really hard to get revenue from a client when they can't actually come in and benefit from your service. Yeah. Yeah. Well, John, we're just about out of time. Thank you for joining us today and sharing your expertise. There's a lot to learn from you beyond what we covered today. How best can our listeners learn more about what you do? So our firm's website is going to be the best first place to go to. It's insighttax.com. We have a ton of free resources out there on our blog, and we we try to share like the corporate rent rule. We've done a few blog posts on that. So if you want to look at that in more detail, paying your kids, things like that. But our, our website and our blog is probably a great place to start. Awesome. We'll link to that in the show notes. Thanks again, John. Don't forget to follow the Agent of Wealth on the platform you listen from and leave us a review of the show. We're currently accepting new clients, and if you'd like to schedule a one-on-one consultation with our advisors, please do so at boutusfinancial.com backslash call. Thank you for listening to the Agent of Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Boutus Financial. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial planning and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investments and financial planning.